We have been in this season of Advent walking through the book of Micah. And in the book of Micah, in the fifth chapter, he makes this prophecy of this coming king that would save God's people. In that prophecy, the king is described this way. He says, and he shall be our peace. And he shall be our peace. That'd be a powerful message to God's people about 2,500 years ago because there wasn't a lot of peace in the society they lived in. There was this imminent threat of military invasion and destruction coming from the Assyrians in the north. In their own culture and society, they were sick with corruption in both the religious and political spheres. The wealthy were oppressing the poor. There was no justice. No one could trust each other. And there was a a pretty thorough breakdown of family relationships. And so this was a people that were completely without peace. And so Micah's telling them that there will be a day that God will send a savior and he will be our peace. I think this is powerful for us because we're a people that aren't a lot different than the Israelites. We, we don't have a lot of peace. Um, and it's ironic that we are in this season of Christmas that at some point was originally built around this idea of peace and joy and rest and celebration. And it's kind of devolved into this blinged out race to just um, kind of express our basest consumeristic desires, right, online. And there's all of this pressure that we take into this season of having the perfect Christmas and kind of embodying the American dream. For some of us, there's this stress of Christmas without our families. For others of us, there's the stress of Christmas with our families, not the families here, but other families feel that. There's all of this expectation that we bring into this season. Our kids are at home with us all week. Kids, you're at home with your parents all week. There is a complete lack of peace in this season of joy. And honestly, it's not a lot better outside of Christmas time. When you look at our society, we're kind of in this space that's strange. Um, entertainment has devolved into basically human dogfighting because that's what gets clicks and ad dollars, right? And so as a people, we're more partisan, we're meaner, we seem to be less educated, we seem to be less concerned about the well-being of our fellow man, especially if they're different than us. We live in this new age of geopolitical and economic uncertainty. When you just kind of survey the news, it's a little less stable than it was really post-war. And so we're in this space where for so many of us, this idea of peace seems absent. And we feel stuck and we feel stressed out and we feel disappointed and sometimes we feel like we're drowning in our own inadequacy to control the world and dictate the reality that we feel like we were promised. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So last week, if you were here, we saw in chapter seven, in the midst of this extreme danger and chaos, Micah wrote, but as for me, I will wait on the Lord's salvation. Micah said he would wait on the Lord's salvation. At Christmas Eve, we celebrate that that salvation's come. We celebrate that that salvation has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we hit the culmination of the Advent season, we turn all of our attention and focus on the birth of Jesus because Jesus is our peace. 
And when we celebrate salvation's arrival, we celebrate these realities and and these truths about who Jesus is that remind us that in the midst of all of the uncertainty and all of the stress and anxiety and baggage that's heaped on us by a broken world just constantly now thanks to the internet, we have a savior who can hold this tension and truly be our peace. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna finish up Micah tonight. We're gonna be in just the last three couplets of chapter seven. And so Micah just got done prophesying about how God will save his people. So he closes by simply ascribing and worshiping these truths of who God is. And as we explore this, we're gonna see why we can say Jesus truly is our peace and why that actually matters for us where we are. And so we're in chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse 18. Micah says, who is a God like you? This was actually a pretty common phrase when you look at religious language in the area in the Bronze Age. Who is a God like you would be a fairly consistent phrase that people would say. Even those who were worshiping pagan idols, this would be language you would see in their worship. But here's what's different. They didn't say this next part. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. That's for the people left that are still faithful to him. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So you see this radical reality of who God is that is true with the arrival of Jesus, that we're celebrating the arrival of forgiveness. Look in 18, says, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? We have a God who forgives us. And so when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we celebrate the coming of God's forgiveness for all of his people. Not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus went on to live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, and resurrect three days later, where he ascended into heaven, we are forgiven because of our faith in him. Where there's no forgiveness, there's no peace. I don't know if you remember um, what it was like. Some of you are like, it's me right now. So were you ever in school and you got in trouble and you knew that at some point your parents were gonna find out? There was a time before CTLS and Parent View where what teachers would do is they would call you. And you didn't know if they were calling or not because the phones were on the wall and you just didn't know who was there until you picked up and listened, right? Like when you read the Berenstein Bears and they're talking about the great thing about a phone call is you never know who's on the other end. Clearly pre-cell phone. So what what would happen is we would be at school, we would get in trouble, and the teachers would say, I'm going to call your parents. In a lot of ways, this was a dual punishment because you were going to get in trouble for mom and dad, but you didn't know when. So the entire day is going on, and you know what's going to happen. At some point, I remember, actually, I've never told my mom the story um, to this day. So she's watching. I was in second grade. Um, This isn't a Christmas story. I apologize. And so we were in a straight line in these plastic chairs with holes in them, and there was a boy behind me. I had some gas that was getting ready to leave my body. And so I reached down, untied his shoe, so he'd have to lean down and tie it by where the hole in the seat was so I could time the release of this gas. All of the men are laughing because we're just always eight, okay? The teacher caught me. It was like, I'm calling your mom. And my mom was also a teacher, so she knew all of these people. And I just, I, it, it was very hard for me to get away with things. To this day, she does not know this story. She probably does now. But uh, the entire day I was at home, 
I went home, every time the phone would ring, like my stomach would drop, I would start to sweat, I'd have this anxiety because I knew I had this guilt hanging over my head and I was just waiting for the consequences of justice to come rolling down. That was one I got away with. There's a very long list of times that that phone did ring and it was my teacher. Listen, we don't totally outgrow that as adults, right? Like, maybe the stakes raised, maybe you're not trying to get somebody to lean down so you can, I don't know, maybe you did that today, but either way, this, the stakes raise and we still have this cosmic feeling of guilt hanging over us sometimes. Maybe as we enter the holiday season, we're at a place where there's an absence of peace because the guilt that we feel over how we've handled stress, the guilt we feel over maybe how we've handled money or family or parenting, maybe the guilt we feel over our anger, that anger hangover, you know, when, when it doesn't feel so good that you, that you blew your gasket anymore. Just even that deep resonance of feeling like there's something broken in us that we can't fix just hangs over us and it robs us of our peace. It's so critical for us to remember that when we celebrate tonight, we're not celebrating the hot chocolate bar, which is awesome. We're not celebrating the lights. We're not celebrating the presents or the pictures. All of those are shadows of the goodness that we celebrate that's found in the person and work of Jesus. Because through the coming of Jesus, we have this peace that is found in the forgiveness of our sins. We have a God that forgives our sins. And look, look, look. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't do it contractually. Why does he not retain his anger forever in 18? Because he delights in what? In steadfast love. The coming of Jesus is an expression of God's steadfast love that he desires to forgive us and bring us peace. So all of the baggage that you're bringing in here today, listen, don't just celebrate and go through the motions and have it waiting for you when you leave. Your guilt disappeared on the cross. You are celebrating the arrival of your Savior. We are not weighed down and trapped by our guilt. We have peace to be found in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the arrival of forgiveness tonight. Look and go on. He says, he will again, he being God. In verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So what does it look like for God to have compassion on us? Here are a lot of ideas about what compassion looks like, right? Like a uh, very popular refrain in culture right now is God's going to have compassion on us by giving us stuff, right? Also known as the prosperity gospel. If you just pray enough and just give enough, God really wants you to have a Porsche, if you have one, that's cool. I'm not like, that's great. But like ultimately, God doesn't show his compassion through giving us stuff, Ultimately, God shows his compassion through treading our iniquities under his feet and casting our sins into the sea. Does God bless us with things? Sure, absolutely. But that's not the core of where we see God's compassion. Another word for this in scripture, another way to translate this word in the Hebrew is mercy. When Jesus has come, we're celebrating the arrival of mercy. And this really goes hand in hand in forgiveness, right? Because if God is a God who forgives because of steadfast love, that's ultimately expression of mercy and kindness. It's difficult to have peace when we live in a world without mercy, and we live in a world without mercy. Everything that we know about social media has told us that it has made us more likely to say unkind things and have unkind thoughts and give people less grace and patience. And when you look at the society we live in today, we live in a society that has less mercy than it did 30 years ago. 
We absolutely do in this country. We live in a society where we're confronted on a daily basis as a reminder that we live in a broken world that does not reflect the kindness that God has called us to create. And for a lot of us, we, we come into this space feeling an absence of peace because we're being crushed by a lack of mercy. We don't have mercy at work. We don't have mercy from our schedules. We don't have mercy in the conflict that we experience. We don't have mercy in how those around us will maybe react to our imperfections, right? And so in this lack of mercy, we have this thing in us that desires acceptance, so we think that we have to work for it. And we forget this core truth of who we are in Jesus Christ that because of who Jesus is, he has given us mercy and compassion. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness. It's a gift that is given to us. When we put our faith in Jesus, God's mercy is lavished on us willingly. And so as we come here today, this isn't a place where we need to feel like a pressure to perform. That's not what it is. It's not like there's only so much forgiveness in the top 10%. I don't know if you've read in Revelation, it talks about how God is going to save a remnant of his, his people, right? And I don't have time to get into all of the theology of this, but it's only 144,000 people. I remember being in fifth grade and I was terrified because I thought that was it. I was like, there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven. I've got no chance, right? Like even if it was just the people alive now, that's iffy, but like out of human history, I'm out right? Like I'm not top 10%. And so I am not like, that's not me. And I was terrified. Listen, that's actually not what that passage means. It's, it's talking about something completely different that we don't have time for this evening. There is not a limit to God's grace. You don't have to be top 10% to get automatic acceptance into heaven. That's not how this works. The reason that we so freely celebrate the, the magnitude of the coming of Jesus Christ is because it's an expression of God's mercy on us. We don't deserve love and grace from our Father, but he gives it to us because he loves us. So our peace is, is non-existent when we, when, we, when we feel like there's not mercy. I hope that tonight is we're in this place where we are under the protection of the grace of God in so many different ways by where our focus is and what we're singing and what we're saying and why we're serving and how we're loving each other, even in this room in the lobby, is that we are able to enter into this confidence of God's mercy on us. That we have a God who willingly loves us and desires us and pursues us. And that the coming of Jesus Christ ushers in an era where we can have that relationship. The coming of Jesus is a celebration of the arrival of mercy. We know God's mercy. He goes on, he says, You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So let's talk about this. Jacob and Abraham were these key figures in the Israelites' past that God made promises to. Abraham's one of the most famous. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to be your God you will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky and grains of sand in the world. He says, you will have a people, and out of those people will come a great Savior. And so when he says, you'll be faithful to Abraham, here's what he's saying. God keeps his promises. We have a God who keeps his promises. So when we come to Jesus and we put our faith in him, we have the arrival of God's security in our lives. God doesn't 
make you re-earn it every day. It's not like you come to Christ and then you mess up and you've got to come back down the aisle again and get re Like, that's not how it works. In Ephesians, it says that even when we were dead in our sins, in Ephesians chapter 2, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We have this security in being God's children that doesn't go away when we stray from the truth that we know. We don't lose our salvation. We don't lose mercy. We don't lose forgiveness. We have the security of God's promise in our lives. And Jesus is a marker of that. Because listen, up to this point, the way that people interacted God was through the old covenant. It was this idea that God would be the God of Israel, and when they sinned, they would sacrifice animals to atone for that sin, and as long as they continued to worship him, God would continue to bless and allow them to administer that kingdom. If you've been following with us in Micah, you know that eventually the Israelites break their end of that legal contract. It was called the conditional covenant. If you do this, then I'll do this. The arrival of Jesus ushers in a new covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. God says, I will save you when you put your faith in me. So with Jesus, we celebrate the arrival of security. How much do you look at your life and see an absence of peace where, where there's an absence of security? Think about all of the places of insecurity that want to poke us in this temporal broken world, right? Maybe you're insecure about relationships. Maybe you're insecure about finances. Maybe, maybe you don't feel a lot of security in your job right now with the way the economy is going. Maybe you don't feel a lot of security about your mental health going into the holidays because of just everything that happens, right? All of those places where you don't feel security, you don't feel peace. So when we say Jesus is our peace, we can say that because he represents the arrival and eternal security that we have in the promise of God. That despite what happens to us as we kind of go through a broken world where our health is not secure and our finances are not secure and, and even our relationships may not be secure, we have this surpassing security of knowing that we have been loved and forgiven by God. And so this evening as we come, I hope that as we sing, I hope that as we pray, as we light candles, as we even just enjoy the body of Christ that we live in in our lobby, I, I hope that what happens is that we come back to the truth of what we celebrate. Because it's so easy to get overshadowed by all of the trappings of Christmas in America that we forget what it means to celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating the arrival of our salvation. We're celebrating the coming of our King. We're celebrating the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a peace that we don't have anywhere else. And so our invitation to you this evening is that you would just open your hands, be vulnerable with our Father, and anchor your heart in the truth of what God has done and what Jesus represents. Tonight we celebrate that salvation has arrived. And so let's worship like that's true. Let's, let's love one another like that's true. Let's root what we care about like this is true. Let's celebrate that because of Jesus, we have an eternal peace that roots us firmly in the love of our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who has saved us. That through your son, 
that through his death on the cross and his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life, that our sins have been forgiven, and that we have been made a part of your family. And God, we just pray that as we continue to go through a season that tempts us to put our hope and joy in every other place but you, you would root our heart in this joyful confidence that we have in knowing that you love us and you saved us and that you have made us your children. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.